Well, this, uh, this play we act out every year of Jesus' life is moving right along, isn't it? <laughs> Just the other day it was Christmas, and now after 12 days of Christmas, we have Epiphany. And before I get started, there's, when I study this, there's, there's something you think is that you've heard a million times and there's not much to find that would be new under the sun. Um, turns out to be quite rich and full and I've been uh, admonished to not speak too long and by my own self first of all and then strong confirmation from my bride <laughs> um, and so I can't talk about everything but the one thing before I even start I just want to show you a little bit Luke wrote his version of the Christmas, the birth, the nativity. And we see where the angels came to the shepherds. He came to the poor. You could not be the least and still miss God. Well, what we see today are wise men coming from the east from three different countries, just the three people we know of. And they think that possibly there may have been as many as 12 or more wise men and they're not like in the movie where they travel in a little, just three guys on camels, dressed to the nines. This was a thousand mile journey. And these uh, priests, which they called kings, but they weren't kings, we'll talk about that later, um, were highly thought of people. So there was more than likely as many as 300 people traveling in a caravan with these wise men. This wasn't just a little journey they set off to, and they, it was us four and no more. We're going to find that star and don't tell anybody. This was a, this was a big, um, big event. Now, let's see if we can get lucky and find our notes here. Um, I must have preached in Advent in 2017 also. It says 122417. Mm -hmm. um, okay. January 6, 2019. Can we go with that one? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The word epiphany means a sudden realization about the nature of or meaning of something. And it comes from Epiphania, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-I-A, meaning a manifestation. And this Sunday we celebrate God's manifestation of His glory to the Magi. And as we all go through life, we have different manifestations or realizations of things that come. I would say one of the first things that we realize is when we get married, there is a, an awakening about three days into it that the honeymoon ain't it. <laughs> then real life starts in. Or, or as George Burns says, he says, your marriage starts when you get out of bed. 
And that's when the worst starts. And we know, and there's such a realization of uh, when two people come together, they maybe have been one people for a long time. Or having habits or getting older and realize one pe person likes warm rooms and the other person <laughs> likes, likes refrigerators. That, those are revelations and realizations and manifestations of stuff that you didn't particularly think you'd be seeing. And then when we have the birth of a child, there's this manifestation and realization of a love that you didn't know you would even have that was there way before it got here. And believe it or not, it gets worse with grandchildren. Of course, you've had time to know why it got better with grandchildren because you've already raised the children. So you're glad they got married and went and had babies. And then you also come to a realization and a manifestation of the responsibility you now have. I remember talking to my daughter when, the, when, the, when Pam, Sawyer was born. And I said, you know, Pamela, I said, she's a whiteboard right now. And you've got to be really, really careful what you write on that whiteboard because that's what she'll become. And that's a big responsibility. You realize responsibility and the realization and manifestation of a need for patience. We won't talk about that one very much. Because I hadn't gotten there yet. Uh, and then having to live a certain amount of time every day, especially the moms. You wonder, am I going to have to spend the rest of my life in fatigue? <laughs> I am tired and it, and it doesn't get any better. And getting up during the night and, and feedings and things it's, that you just lose your life. I mean, there's husbands and wives that think they don't even get to see each other again until their kids go off to college. You just, you know them, you talk to them, but it's nothing like the honeymoon for sure. And so there is, and then as, as you get older, you, there's a, a manifestation when you take on a profession. I remember my aunt introduced me to a guy named Jack Hill who owned Hill Wholesale Lumber in Lafayette or Lafayette, depending on how you want to say it, Alabama. And he painted me a picture of what brokering lumber could be. And I loved it. And, and that's what I chose to do. And I, I found companies that would hire me finally. I, I made calls and didn't push for it. But the manifestation of this vision that I had, I didn't know it was going to take five, maybe six years to get there. But yet, if you stay with something, the realization happens. Or if you believe enough, it'll happen. But, but I surely didn't know it. And knowing what I knew after it was over, I felt like I was so far into it now. Why quit? But it was, it was, it was, it was tough. And, but all I could see was keeping that vision of what it could be. Uh, then in our spiritual life, the first thing we come to is a real, realization for a need for God. And ask him to manifest himself in our lives. Ask him into our lives. He's already provided everything to save us, redeem us. But we have to invite him in to come in. And so there's a realization of, of a, a need in your life. And then as you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a manifestation one day of a scripture actually spoke to you. And you know it was God. And it's an epiphany. And then there's a realization when you're going along one day and that still small voice, voice speaks to you and you know it was God. And, and that happened to me and I guess it's one of my favorite things because I guess there's one thing that Beth and I do and you've heard us say it before is there's a lot of people got an emphasis on their Christian life but ours has just turned out 
to serve the least, the last, and the lonely. That we see Jesus in, in the people that are hurting, that are people that are poor, the people that are lonely. And I like that. I don't want it in any other religion. I mean, I like all these other things and having high visions of things and saving the world. And I'd love to save the world. But I'd, most of all, I would love the world to know that somebody that's saved loves them. And that was a realization. So that was what happened one day. Father Brent and I used to do noon Eucharist quite often together. And it was just at that time maybe 20, 25 minute service because people had to get back to work. And we would read the scriptures. And of course both of us had done morning prayer. And we just looked at each other and said, well, do you have a word? And we'd either nod, yes I do, or or, but one of us would preach and so I, I felt like the Lord had spoken to me during the uh, um, gospel reading and it was about the lady with the bottle of nard that came in and anointed Jesus for his burial it said and, uh, and so it was just like I said it was a very short homily and I remember starting I said the first thing I told him I said the people that were sitting there judging Jesus and this lady that came and ministered to him I don't want to hear a word ever come out of your mouth about it. Because if you've ever second-guessed your priest or your bishop and talk behind their back, you're one of them. <laughs> so don't judge them either. But secondly, I said, but then Jesus explained to them, you don't even know what she's doing. Not to even mention how she earned the money to buy this perfume. They said it would, it would take a year's pay to buy. And she anointed him. And, and remember they said, oh, she could have sold that and give the money to the poor in such a hypocritical, judgmental fashion. And Jesus spoke, and I said, and Jesus spoke, he said, you know, the poor will always be with you. And then that's when that little voice spoke to me and says, I told you I would never leave you or forsake you. And my knees just buckled. I said, oh my goodness. It had never, I had never realized what he was saying. And it dawned on me, I said, well, you know, guys, God said he'll never leave you or forsake you. And we always think this in, an, in what seems to be an intangible, tangible thing is it's always something we have to grasp spiritually. We know this invisible God lives inside of us, so we serve this invisible God, we worship this invisible God. And all of a sudden he says, there's nothing invisible about me at all. I said, there's 85 of me down here at this indigent nursing home who, who we said we wanted to minister to. And I said, not only is he going to be tangible in, in, in the flesh, they boxed him up for you. And I said, get off your couches and go down there. And I said, I promise you, I've done it a million times. If you can get the inertia and move and go into this place, you will meet Jesus. And you will, you'll walk in on tile and you'll walk out on air. Because you know you've been with Jesus. And those are, so those are the things of the manifestations, what we would call an epiphany in our life. Um, and so as we see this, this is, and it all started with this story, our first story about epiphany, of course, was the Magi. And so I was studying, well, who in the world are the Magi anyway? What is the East and where is the East? And as I studied there, we've heard to hear this on TV and, and even in Bible studies about the Medes and Persians. Well, it turned out that the Medes at some point in time had tried to attack the Persians, which is modern-day Iran, and they lost the battle. But there was this, um, this uh, 
group or tribe, tribe, yeah, that's the word I look for, just like the tribe of Levi, well, there was this tribe that was called, um, that was named after a guy like Zoro, Zoroaster, Zoroaster, Z-O-R-O-A-S-T-E-R. And it was a priestly caste, like the caste system in India. It was a group of people that were called to be um, priests. Not Jewish priests, but priests. Um, and it was called Zoroastrianism. And these guys that had a whole set that, had, that were teachers, that studied medicine, but then there's the ones that we're talking about today that, that studied the stars. They were astrologers. But they were not soothsayers. They were not fortune tellers. They were not con men. Matter of fact, they were as against that as, as Christians were when they saw a soothsayer. This was serious business and they thought they, through, through manifestation of the heavens, that God would show them things and that all of our lives to some degree was controlled by the movement of the planets. And so this is what's happening. So in this particular cast, the study of the stars had an, had an international, literally these guys had an international, the, the, the international as much as they knew the world at that time, reputation in astrology. They were not fortune tellers, soothsayers. In fact, they opposed magic or black magic as much as the Jews. They believed that the fate of a man would be revealed in the stars. In, a, in, in particular, believed an astrological sign like a new star would designate persons who would have kingly authority. So they were constantly looking for changes in the sky, and they knew this guy. And unlike scripture, unlike the scripture read today, these people, these guys that they call kings that would be traveling, were not kings at all. But they were surely makers of kings because a king didn't get a job as a king or appointed or anointed as a king without their approval because they were the final authority in the world on, if this was the chosen one. And then also a king also went to these people for counsel when making day-to-day -day decisions. So they were a king in the fact that they were, if Jesus is the head of our body, the church, well, in some degree, they were the head of, uh, of course, uh, in the natural, in the flesh. They were like the head of the king. It, it, they, they had the final word. And it wasn't like they wanted to, to rule the king. I mean, they, they were serious about what they did. And so they had a host uh, tribe like that that did this. And so that's, that's who we're talking about today. I won't dwell on it because I don't want to. But, of course, we know Herod. And believe it or not, from what I said, Herod really did do a lot of good things for the Jewish people. As far as the infrastructure, roads, buildings, churches, he did things like this. But unfortunately, he was ruled by fear and distrust that he spent his whole life thinking somebody was trying to, to, to take over his kingship to the point where he killed some of his children and other relatives. Anybody that even appeared to be opposition, he took them out. So you can see the interest he has when this prophecy from Micah that talks about the, the Savior being born in Jerusalem is, 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 comes forth 
And now they're saying that we've heard this king. Is, and he said, where is he? He said, well, in Bethlehem, this little small town of Bethlehem. And so what does he do? These magi from the east, the whole world knew about them. The whole world trusted in their judgment. Um, and then there's what's that? Oh, and, and here's the other thing. I told you about in Luke, the angels came to the shepherds, the poor, the lowly, and said, I have good news for you with great joy. This one is to show you that the whole world, do you see where this would be a, a, a manifestation or a type of the Gentile world? It wasn't just Jews. Because in, in, in this Gentile world, whether they knew it or not, was looking for Jesus not knowing they were looking for Jesus, but they knew there was a coming king that, was, that, would, that would rule um, with authority and power, and, he would, and great, great would be his name. And so as they, as, when they get ready to go, they see the Tsar, and to tell you the truth, you know, people talk about, well, the timing was off. I didn't realize Haley's Comet was floating around out there even then. But the timing was off for something like Haley's Comet to be coming in, which would be an absolutely obvious movement. And then there, but then, you know, they talk about sometimes of two planets lining up and getting together, and it makes a much brighter light. Nobody knows exactly what it was, but I would say being astrologists that studied the night every night, they would know the least thing that would be different. And if there was a new star that came about, they would see it. And they started following this star. And you know, I don't know, there's so many I don't knows in this thing because we don't know how in the world a star could be out there. And maybe no one else saw it but these guys. Because they were looking for it and nobody else even noticed it. But what's the odds of it really being able to sit over a house that would be the size of a grain of salt in relation to things? And they don't know if that's true either. But whatever it did, it led them to Jesus. And so, there's three things that happened and were manifested when, when Jesus uh, manifests his glory. How did he manifest it? Just by his very presence. Um, we don't know, like I said, we don't know if it was three guys. And they, they base that decision, obviously, based on number of gifts. But then Orthodox churches always believe there's been a minimum of 12 that went. And, but there could have been even more. These guys were together in a caravan, probably three or four or five hundred people traveling together. And so when they got there, they had the manifestation of Christ in his glory. And he was anywhere from literally just 12 days after his birth, as, a, as they say, or as old as maybe two, two and a half years and, and a full-blown toddler. But he also, we do know this, Mary and Joseph already had a home and they were living there. They, they weren't in the, the garage apartment in Bethlehem. Which, by the way, that really was the thing. They really did carve their, their garages and their stables out of the rock. They live above them. And they, so that, that part is, is true. So as they, um, they go to this house, three things happen. The first thing we've got to notice by the Magi, and, and, and this is going to apply to us before this is over, First thing they did is they saw a star and they made a 
quality decision to follow that star. They didn't ignore it, and they didn't, and they didn't decide not to follow it. They decided to follow it. Secondly, they found Jesus, and when they saw his divinity, they, non-Jews now, basically you'd call them scientists or astrologers, they worshipped him, and they had brought gifts for him. Gold is a gift that would be proper to give a king. Frankincense would be a proper gift to give to a high priest. Third one was frankincense, which would be a proper gift to give to a person to save or to use later to prepare him for his death. So the first gift was gold, representing the authority of God in his divinity. Uh, no, excuse me, his authority. The second one was uh, frankincense, which did represent his divinity as our priest, our, our one high priest that's talked about in, in, in uh, Hebrews. And then the myrrh that represented his humanity, that Jesus was going to come die a death just like we do. He, he was in always like us, only in never sin. He was always God, never not God, who laid down his what? Deatific powers and considered himself not, not to be, I won't say worthy, but he considered himself as the son of man to make himself less than God and more like man, even though he was never not God. And, and then he humbled himself and he obeyed his father and it said even to the death of the cross and it says and he learned everything he learned on earth like a man by obeying the father. He didn't already have the playbook. He had to be led by the spirit just like we do. Thirdly, the Magi went home a different direction, yes. They changed their direction. But the reality is, they went home changed. They were not the same people. They were, I don't know if you've ever led someone to Christ, but you can see it in their face. They're the same person, but they're not the same person. But I promise you, that's the same person who absolutely is not the same person. Well, these men were not the same person when they went back. He said they, um, they, let's see. Oh, and so they went home changed as a changed person. They didn't have to, well, they didn't have to follow the star. This analysis is going to apply to us. How does this apply to us? They didn't have to follow the star just as we can daily if we choose to reject God's plan for our life. If we choose, we can exhort the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We can choose to, con or we can contemplate the awesomeness of God's love towards us and pass this same love that we received onto those we encounter in our daily lives. Or we can do like we've quite often done and we would be lying if we said we hadn't done it. Or we can see that person that needs the love of God and we decide it's too, too aggravating, I don't have enough time. And we can just turn and go another way. The Magi went to Jesus. Number two, we can worship him. 
here this morning we can contemplate his love for us, the price it cost him to redeem us and provide a way back home. We couldn't redeem ourselves, but we can kneel this morning. And I was so glad to see the, the uh, nativity scene back there. We can kneel this morning in our hearts before the manger, or we can kneel before the cross. Same Jesus. And let, and let the gratitude and the joy for what he's done for us fill us and make us as joyful as the Magi was. You see, they walked in looking for this king. And the, the glory of the Lord overwhelmed them. And they got on their face before him. A little baby. And they're laying on their face before him. In total awe that they were, knew they were in the presence of the living God. They were not a Christian yet because the Holy Spirit has said, but they were not the same person because they had encountered the glory of God. The epiphany is we encounter Jesus in his glory again. We will allow ourselves to be changed again. And I'm talking about on a daily basis. We encounter Jesus in his glory again, and we will allow ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis to allow, not only change us again, but, but to the point we are changed that we will follow Jesus and ask him on a daily basis, please give me new insights into you. Give me a deeper and richer perspective on your love, your care, your wonderment. Give me a perspective that if I'm going to be Christ in the earth and your body, Teach me how to die. Teach me how to love. Teach me how to minister. Teach me how to, through this same death, that I can be made alive one day at a time in Christ's life, that we manifest his love. Um, Jesus, we ask Jesus, allow Jesus to give us new insights into himself by the Holy Spirit, and we allow these new insights to help us to improve how we think, act and relate to, to those Christ puts in our paths on a daily basis. So I would encourage you, this is not a long word today, but I would encourage you, let our daily prayer be this. Lord Jesus, we ask you to let us see you anew. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.